Rob, let's start with you. Great. Please tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for having me. And first of all, David, and thanks for getting Couve.com uh, off the ground and providing this service to the people of Clark County. I've been Attorney General now for uh, six and a half years. Before that, served a couple of terms on the uh, King County Council. And uh, was in private practice with a major law firm in the Seattle area prior to that. Grew up in the Army uh, and uh, moved all over the world. Spent more of my life overseas than in the States until I was in high school. And now my wife Marilyn and I are raising our four children uh, up in Bellevue. We chose not to move to Olympia, but to, to stay in our home mm. and keep our kids in our schools. And uh, we've just uh, we've had a great experience. Now we're now we're deciding to uh, we've decided to explore a new opportunity, and that is uh, to seek the governorship of Washington State. And in that race, uh, we'll be talking about a lot of issues, including some of the issues that will come up in our conversation today. Mm -hmm. But the three top issues, the three that we'll spend the most time discussing, are job creation to turn around mm -hmm. the sky-high unemployment rate that we yep. see in Washington State, estimated at 16 to 19 percent when you, when you fully calculate it. We'll be talking about education reform because uh, we're considered an education reform backwater from a national perspective. Louisiana and New York City are miles ahead of us now in reforming their education systems. We need to, to, get, to catch up. And third, we'll be talking about reforming state government, making it more cost effective, more productive, more transparent, uh, more accountable to the people of the state. Transparency and accountability, reforming state government. You're hitting some strings that are passionate, uh, I believe, to our community. Can you elaborate a little bit more about how does a governor bring accountability and reform to right. state government? Uh, first of all, by assuring that there's transparency in government, that, that information, documents, financial information is available to the public when they ask for it. This has been a, a priority for me in all of my years as Attorney General. Uh, in fact, I created an office of uh, government accountability within the Attorney General's office. It's led by an assistant Attorney General who is uh, the ombudsman f for the entire state on open uh, public records issues, whether those public records issues or public meetings issues are in state with state agencies or with local governments. We wrote a set of rules that are now uh, codified in the Washington Administrative Code that explain how the Public Records Act work and how agencies are supposed to comply with it. We've successfully mediated uh, hundreds of disputes between citizen requesters and government agencies uh, over public records access. We work regularly with the media to make sure they have access to government information. We've also offered a number of bills to the legislature that have strengthened public records access. So we're, I'm very committed to this. And you know, my predecessor, who's now our governor, took a tack that was not quite the same. Uh, she actually argued in the Supreme Court that sh there should be less access to public records in a case called Handgartner, which was a challenge to sound transit up in uh, the Central Puget Sound area and a challenge to the Seattle monorail project, now defunct, when they refused to provide records that had been requested of them. She took the position that the agencies were right and the requesters were wrong. Uh, I came in and uh, actually offered a bill that undid a lot of the damage from that Supreme Court decision to restore accessibility and, and uh, the availability of records. So um, you can expect to see that kind of contrast uh, when I become governor as well. Tiffany may have some questions along those lines since your job is to bring things to light. I guess one of my, maybe give an example of public requests that had been denied or um, you know, what, what is your definition of transparency and accountability? Right. Maybe you can translate that into an example of uh, 
You bet. Something you guys really needed. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, um, in, the, in the Handgartner case, the Seattle monorail and Sound Transit uh, refused to provide records that have been requested to them because uh, they said some of them were protected by attorney-client privilege and they included their lawyers and in, in it seemed like to outsiders it seemed like they included their lawyers whenever they could in order to cite the attorney-client privilege. I think that's an abuse of the lawyers for one thing, certainly mm -hmm. of the privilege. Uh, they also claimed that sound the monorail claimed that because one request was for all of their records it was too broad when in fact they could have provided those records on compact disks and ma made them available that you know emails or financial records or meeting minutes or what have you um, so we fought uh, successfully in the legislature to overturn the Supreme Court's ruling that a request which is too broad can be rejected because that puts the requester, the, the citizen, in the position of having to guess how many of the records they're allowed to ask for before it's sure. considered too broad. So we got that reversed. Another example I'll give you is from my personal experience as a member of the board of Sound Transit. Uh, I was on that board. I was an acknowledged light rail skeptic. Uh, not because there's anything wrong with the technology. I've used light rail in cities uh, like San Diego, and I thought it worked pretty well. But they were building their light rail line for $45 million a mile. Seattle's building it for two to $400 million per mile. And I came in and said, look, we want to invest in transit, but wouldn't it make more sense to invest in buses and in bus rapid transit to get the service up and running much, much faster? We have people today standing on buses leaving downtown Seattle to go back to the east side or to South King County right. because they've taken bus service away. The, the, the very capital-intensive rail project has sucked up so many resources there isn't enough bus service. So I was an acknowledged uh, skeptic of the light rail plan, but as a board member I felt it was my duty to try to execute the plan the voters had approved and I, and I did my level best to bring that plan to reality. As I served on the board, however, I began uh, closely reviewing the um, financial statements of the agency and the financial plans and questioning staff, and I became more and more suspicious that something wasn't right. Uh, in August of 1999, I was told I could not have access to bids that had been returned by a couple of major contractors for the tunnels under Capitol Hill, where the light rail line will connect from downtown Seattle to the University of Washington. They said, no, no, we're not going to let board members see those, those bids. That really alarmed me. Because what, what position did you hold during that time? Were you I, was a member of the, I was a member of the King County Council, and as a, in that position had been appointed to the Board of Sound Transit. And, and was the, was the um, story that the bids held sort of intellectual property, and so they didn't want to share the, the bidding? Yeah. With Basically, they the said that these are confidential, and we're not even going to share them with board members, much less the public. And here I am, a fiduciary, charged with responsibility for seeing this plan through. Ultimately, um, I uh, uh, raised an alarm to the federal government, which is one of the big funders, and the inspector general for the U.S. Department of Transportation came in, and I showed her uh, from you know how you piece together uh, parts of the financial reporting from the agency to get the real picture. And she realized when I laid it all out for her that she had been lied to by uh, agency management. Ultimately, the executive director lost his job. What he was doing was uh, systematically raiding uh, reserve accounts and contingency fund accounts to shift money on paper over to um, make up for huge cost overruns. The reason they didn't want the board members to see the bids on the tunnel is they came in way over the budget. Basically, it came down to this. They promised the voters they would build a light rail line from SeaTac Airport to the University of Washington for $2.4 billion. And they didn't come even close to doing that. 
In fact, they had to go, ultimately had to pull the plug on that plan, go back to the voters and get the voters to approve a new plan, which for about the same amount of money brought the light rail from SeaTac to downtown Seattle, but not to Capitol Hill, that dense area, and not right. to the UW. Um, and that was, uh, that was very, very sobering to think that, that uh, agency staff would um, try to hide the ball from board members, uh, not disclose what they were doing in terms of cooking the books to make it look like they could still afford to build this plan. So if board members are not able to look at the books, if, board, uh, if, yeah. if you're not able to gain access to the information, everyone else assumes that the board members know everything that's going on. Precisely. You're informed because there's responsibility there. Right, and uh, ironically, the chairman of the Sound Transit Board Finance Committee was Greg Nichols, who went on to become mayor of Seattle. He didn't know what was going on. But he wasn't asking the questions. Uh, I asked the questions. A couple of other board members started asking the same questions. And together, we exposed what was happening. The, the, the moral of the story is transparency is extremely important. These projects are very large. They're prone to overruns. That's going to happen on, on these projects. They ought to be honest about it. They ought to be very forthright about how they're spending the money, where they're spending the money, whether they're on budget or not, whether they're on track to meet the timelines they promised the voters or not. Because what often happens with these big, you know, complex projects, especially those that are voter approved, is that there's a, there's a great temptation to lowball the cost and to lowball the timeline to get the voters to approve the project and then turn around and say, oh, we're sorry, we couldn't do it that cheaply or that quickly after all. So we understand that, that those are the desires. In fact, if you go to the powers that be that are yeah. spending that money, they'll tell you, tell you, oh, yeah, it's all transparent. We believe in accountability. But in reality, what ha since, since that story unfolded, yes. what is in place now or what should be in place to ensure that there are consequences and that the information really is delivered? With sound transit, you have a stronger oversight from the federal government. You have a more alert media that pays attention. I think you have board members who pay closer attention. I hope they do. The board's turned over since I was on it uh, uh, over uh, nine years ago. Uh, but uh, it, and, and I think they have better management now. I have respect for the current CEO of San Transit. She seems to be much more open and um, much more forthright about costs and what they can do and what they can't afford to do. So the culture of that agency has improved since the early days. Uh, uh, but, you know, I think because of the political pressures that come to bear on staff and the temptation that exists to try to tell the board members what they want to hear and to keep those unrealistic promises to voters, you have to be very vigilant on any large public project to make sure that they don't fall prey to those temptations. What, what if you don't have the culture? What if you have individuals that are there, that they want to advance their agenda and they really their, their job at, at all costs is to get it pushed through, to get it done, and that they, they don't deliver. What are the consequences? What are the recourses for citizens or even forensic accountants right. to be able to get access to that, inf to that information and hold the project or put the, push the pause button if it's not delivered? There are checks and balances in the system. Um, I gave the example of the federal government coming in and the inspector general for U.S. Department of Transportation conducting uh, a thorough investigation. That was part of the checks and balances. So if there's federal funding in a project um, and you have, you have evidence that nothing or something's not right, that disclosure is inadequate or they're, you know, they're somehow the, the number, numbers are being manipulated, you know, talking to an outside agency that has some piece of this project would be one route. Uh, another would be, of course, to work with the elected officials who are supposed to be accountable to the voters and try to find at least a few who are willing to ask the tough questions. It's not comfortable. I can tell you it wasn't comfortable being sitting there, being the board member saying, you know what, 
this project doesn't work the way we were told it's going to work. They've been, they've been withholding information from us. But you have to have at least one elected official on the governing board with the courage to do that. Number three, the public can play an important role uh, through public records requests, obtaining detailed information, going to the meetings and asking questions. Uh, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the ways that we kept, tried to keep Sound Transit honest was that we had transportation experts and engineering experts and others who, would, who were, had concerns. They're not anti-transit, just like uh, the rest of us weren't anti-transit, but they are pro-taxpayer and pro-accountability. All of us want transit, but we want transit that doesn't bankrupt us and that's effective. So we had experts that would come in and look at various aspects of the plan and ask good, hard questions. The, the way that, that, that Coov.com and you, David, have been raising questions and requesting information, Tiffany's involvement in looking at um, information you've requested for a local project, that's, that's an example of how you can start to raise, obtain enough information to raise legitimate questions that then are hard to avoid. The, the big problem with keeping any big project accountable is not even, know, not even knowing which questions to ask. That because everything appears fine from the outside. Uh, and so the work that you do to investigate becomes very important in, in um, finding the problems and ask, or at least finding smoke and then you can ask the questions to see if there's fire. So your experience with the Sound Transit, it sounds like you've made some progress up yeah. there. Down here we are running up against a brick wall it seems. We are, Tiffany does know the right questions to ask. Yeah but we are not receiving those answers. And the question is, what can we do? In fact, Tiffany, if you could take the lead here sure. for a little bit and maybe list some of the specific experiences you, that you've had, okay. what's wrong and what needs to be made right here? Who, the, just to answer that accountability question. I loved your comment, well, somebody to raise the questions because I like to be an answers person and kind of tell the story of what's right. happened here in this situation. I do that with any client. And in this case, um, the best I've been able to do is just raise more questions, it right. seems, and not um, have not been able to find a lot of answers yet. Um, so, for example, some of the questions I ask as an accountant, and especially as a forensic accountant, wanting to um, first look at financial documents, or excuse me, financial statements, and then have the documents right. that support those numbers. Absolutely. I can't even start with a financial statement. Why is that? because according to the CRC, they are a project. Um, they are a project that they are shared between ODOT and WashDOT. And so they're supposed to manage the money from ODOT, WashDOT, and the feds to build this project. Mm -hmm. And they're also supposed to be responsible for the expenditures of the money. Okay. But they, don't have, they are not required to have a financial statement. Hmm. So at least that's what they told us. So I asked, okay, if you don't have a financial statement, then show me where the money's coming from. How much is coming from ODOT? How right. much is coming from WashDOT? How much is coming from the feds? Is anything coming from CTRAN or Metro? Sure, seems reasonable. They're not able to, at least to date, they've not been able to provide the really? incoming funds from that the money. Seems kind of astonishing. Have, have you con uh, t contacted the state auditor's office? We, I've talked to um, somebody who we are we are planning that. Okay. We are planning because that. I assume they're subject to audits, financial audits, by the state auditor. If I can answer that question, I have had numerous uh, conversations with the state auditor's office, both locally and at the Olympia. And they have referred, <laughs> it appears that this, the CRC is not auditable by the state. Uh, they fall into this window where somehow the state feels like it's not their role. 
And so we're, in fact, the Department of Transportation has gone through their own recent audit and they said everything's just fine. Uh, that it, it's passed and muster just fine. And as a third party, uh, a forensic auditor, is it, are, the, are things just fine? Are they working the way they should? I, when David hired me, I, had, I told him, you know, I'm going to look through the documents, I'm going to tell you what happened to the money, and it, it, you know, all of this smoke, all of these questions you have may be answered, and we can all just go away and realize that everything's fine. Um, maybe my work will uncover some anomalies and that we might need right. further investigated. And my hope, really, was that I'd be able to say, you know, David, here's, here's how all the accounting works out, and let me just explain it to you. Unfortunately, that's not happening yet. Um, and I think one of my biggest concerns is the, the detailed documents we received from WashDOT, Washington State Department of Transportation. They gave us a download from their accounting system saying, here are all of our expenditures related to the CRC. Great. You know, this is a great place to start. Um, their records indicated that through December 2010, they had spent $108 million. Of that, $15 million was not coded to a vendor, did not have a vendor hmm. name. Now, in a big enterprise accounting system, you can understand that, I can at least understand that there are times when you just have one-off expenses and you maybe, you don't go through the process of setting up a vendor and doing that entire process. But to have 15 million of 108 million, nearly 15%, and a lot of these expenditures were really quite large, mm -hmm. you know, dollar amounts, that raised concern. And of that same 108 million, 38 million didn't have any sort of purpose, meaning it wasn't recorded to rent, it wasn't recorded to IT services or architectural or, right. or anything. So there's some really large gaping holes in Washington State Department of Transportation's accounting data that as an accountant um, gives me heartburn. And those would be legitimate questions to raise with the state auditor because the State Department of Transportation is audited by the state auditor's office. Right. With respect to the CRC not being auditable, I, I, I'm puzzled by that uh, because they do audit local governments and special purpose taxing districts. Uh, and uh, you, you might ask for more clarification from the auditor's office as to why they believe it is not auditable. And perhaps the attorney general's office, I know some people who work there, <laughs> um, could help explain whether under current law it's auditable or not. We may conclude it's not. It depends what the way the law is written. Uh, but we could certainly look at the question, especially okay. if the auditor asks us to as our client. Okay. One question I have, we have, we have this, the attorney general's office, we have a state auditor's office. The question is, where, what is the role right. of the Attorney General's Office? Do, does the Attorney General's Office, is the role to defend government or do, to defend taxpayers? Well, it's both. Uh, it's, it's, this is a unique thing about the, any Attorney General's Office or any prosecutor because the county prosecutor defends the interests of the people of the county but also is the civil legal uh, uh, the, the source of civil legal advice for that local government. Uh, so they represent the local agencies. In our case, we represent the Department of Transportation, but of course we keep an eye to, on them to make sure they're following the law. Uh, and we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't you know, protect them if they were not following the law and they refused to follow our advice to say, hey, you need to get right with it. And of course they do follow the law as far as, as we know. Sometimes they might, some individual might not, but we 
you know, we have clients that in good faith try to stay within the four corners. Um, with respect to this kind of issue that you're describing uh, regarding financial statements and so forth, that's within the province of the state auditor's office. So our role there is to provide legal advice to the auditor uh, so that the auditor can do his job within his authorizing statute and we'll help him understand what the parameters are. And if he came to us and said, hey, you've got this special purpose district called the Columbia River Crossing, uh, is it auditable or not? We would look at the relevant statutes and advise him on that. That would be our role in that case. And, and my concern as an auditor, um, I think the biggest misnomer is this term audit and what, mm -hmm. that, what mm -hmm. that means. Um, what an audit is, is your client, and perhaps the client is a governmental agency, perhaps it's somebody like U.S. Digital, they hand you a financial statement and they say, here is our balance sheet, here's our assets and liabilities, here's our profit and loss statements, kind of money coming in, money going mm -hmm. out for the year. You, Mr. and Mrs. Auditor, audit our numbers <coughs> to make sure that they are reasonably stated. By not having a financial statement, there's nothing to audit. Mm -hmm. um, and so really, um, it seems to be me my job, our job, is going to be to take all of these detailed documents and sort of create right. a financial statement Got for, it. for this entity. It's a lot um, of work. It's uh, a lot of work. And it's now, the law, the law may not require them to have a financial statement, but that raises the policy question or begs the question of why not? And if the law currently doesn't require them to uh, put together a financial statement on an annual basis, which is auditable, that would be an appropriate question to raise with state legislators who make the rules for these agencies, to ask them why is it that you have a large multi-jurisdictional agency governed by a federated body of people who aren't elected but who are appointed to the governing board, why is it they don't have to have audited financial statement, auditable financial statements? And, and you know, that, if they're not required under the law, that's something that lawmakers can consider imposing. Well, we have both audit and we have an investigation. An audit looks, do the numbers add up? Right. Does the math work? Do they have financial controls in place that Correct. are adequate? Those are the kinds of things the auditor will look at. Uh, what I'm curious about is appropriateness, reasonableness, ethics, conflicts of interest, relationships, those kind of things that a, a forensic investigator would be looking for compared to more of a mathematical, have you followed the formulas kind of a thing. In this case, we've pretty much run into a dead end up to this point. I've been asking for information since last year, October mm -hmm. last year. We still, don't, still, don't, still do not have a master vendors list. <laughs> we don't have the most fundamental information. In fact, it appears that this agency, this entity, the CRC, whatever this hybrid that it is, even though we've sat down with, the, with Nancy Boyd, the new head down there, says that, they're audit, that they are accountable, says that they are, believe in transparency, mm -hmm. they, no one is taking the role of holding them accountable. Who do they report to? Do, I, I don't know that much about the CRC yet, but I'll be learning a lot about it uh, over the coming uh, 17 months. It's a very important issue for the people of Southwest Washington. Very much so. So I, I look forward to those opportunities and talking to a, a wide array of people about it. Uh, I assume they have some sort of governing board that uh, that oversees that project. Actually, that they the do case? not. They used to, but they do not. Oh, they don't have one right now. Not so they don't have a sound transit board. They don't have a, there is a no Clark uh, transit board, et cetera. No, they do not. So who do they who do they report to? That is They're a very good question. To the, probably the head of the Washington DOT and the Oregon DOT to some extent. 
Well, <laughs> I think they're Tiffany, you made a trip to talk with the legislators in Salem a couple right. weeks ago. What did you find? Are th I assume that they, that we've been told locally by the city council here in Vancouver that, hey, we're not the ones to talk to, talk to the legislators. And so you've gone and talked to the legislators. What did they tell you? Oh, I think the biggest, of, when we went to Salem, the most astounding um, thing to me was they were actually voting that day on budgetary items, um, one of them being for ODOT, and they didn't know what the CRC was. I, and I was just trying to give them some information as to what my questions were. I had to back all the way up and explain what the CRC was, that they physically sat in an office in Vancouver. Um, you know, I had to literally walk them through wow. what it was that they were even voting to put money towards and the fact that we don't have financial information related to that and it's my understanding that they put in sort of some oversight as far as requiring reporting and, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing back back to ODOT but those legislators were very I was the educator that day as to you know what the CRC was and what they were voting on and 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 what this project was supposed to do right. and and sort of the problems that are still with it. So So they're not reporting to the legislators of, no, they're not. of Oregon, it appears not Washington. And so there's really they're not reporting to anyone other than the governor that says move forward on this program. Really it appears over the objection of our local citizens. We don't have a voice in this. We cannot vote on this. There's no way in fact we you you may know that we have a, a mayor that was elected um, mainly because he opposed this project in the in form of tolls. And as soon as he got elected, it, he turned out to be the exact opposite. Mm. And he, so he's the, the largest promoter of this project. There are, uh, there are really three key individuals, four key individuals. There's two state governors, uh, the mayor of Portland and the mayor <coughs> of Vancouver. And yet the citizens are denied a vote. The citizens are denied access. Mm -hmm. There's no accountability. So I'm interested more in your role as attorney mm -hmm. general to see what, uh, because we don't know who else to go to. The state uh, the auditor's office is really not helping us. Right. The, if they audit local agencies, well, this is not local. Uh, maybe that's the window. Well, you would go, the, the, you've, you've mentioned a couple of the people you would go to. You would go to the governors who are elected and as elected representatives are are accountable. That doesn't mean they're going to agree with you, but they're, 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 they are there to serve the people who uh, are the voters in their states. The other group, of course, are the legislators who act as a check on the, uh, uh, on the governor, on the executive branch. Um, and so I would recommend the transportation leaders in the legislature, the budget leaders in the legislature. You have Joe Zarelli, uh, Senator mm -hmm. Zarelli from mm -hmm. the 18th district, who's very, very good. And I, I would be I would recommend starting with him. I don't know which legislators you have down here who serve in the transportation committees, and you may already be talking. We have Ann Rivers. We have we have yeah. new uh, state legislators, right. which are which are very good, but they feel powerless because they're in the minority. Well, the question yeah. is, as Attorney General of our state, yep. what can you do to help us here in Clark County? We feel like we're being run over by this program. The the current governor is. Uh, regardless of what we say, right. it's full speed ahead. Right. Spend as much as you can, get this done as quick as you can. What can, where can we turn? You're our, our state attorney general. What can you do to help us? Well, I can team up with the state auditor uh, because he has jurisdiction here over the, over the financial issues. Uh, we can answer questions uh, and, and provide analysis of the law. 
uh, and tell you, you know, what the, what this creature is, the CRC under mm -hmm. the law, and and where the accountability is. We do represent the State Department of Transportation. It's our assigned role. You know, just like you have a lawyer who represents you in your business, their lawyer is the Attorney General's office. So we can't take actions that are you know, inimical to, to their interests, but we are responsible for helping to hold our, our uh, clients accountable as well. So okay. we can't expose them. Well, I'm, I'm curious we because can, we, can, uh, we can take a look at what they're doing. So your, your role, as it's defined by the state constitution, is to defend the Department of Transportation up to a degree, up to a up point. To a point. Right. And the question is, at what point does that, what threshold has to be crossed? When we believe they're not following the law and they refuse to come into conformance with the law. And how would we know that? Well, uh, we would reach that conclusion if we looked at a particular activity and decided that it was outside of the uh, statutory authority that that agency has. Uh, and, and so, there, you know, that, that with for any agency, I mean, there's, I have no evidence that DOT isn't doing everything right with the CRC, but if a citizen came to me about any agency and said, hey, we think they're outside of the boundaries, we would want to take a look at that. And I have a similar issue with the SAO, or State Auditor's Office. You know, if I was a big accounting firm and my client had a fraud or a litigation matter, I could not, as their CPA, also then do their fraud investigation or conduct, you know, go and testify as their expert witness in court. They'd have to get a neutral person because I'm auditing them. The SAO's job is to audit the Washington State Department of Transportation. So then to have them also defending defending and or doing the investigative work could be a conflict as well. Although they may or may not, they may have the resources to help us, but yeah. This is all So what I would, process. just to, to sort of bring this around to, to uh, like some kind of conclusion, because mm -hmm. I have a, another attorney general trying to get a hold of me at a, for a scheduled call uh, right now, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would be glad to work with the auditor to answer questions that I receive about what the law is, particularly when they come from legislators, because they can request attorney general opinions on what the meaning of the law is. Okay. I would be happy to meet with legislators, including Representative Rivers, Senator Zarelli, or others, mm -hmm. who uh, have questions oh, about how this is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, Representative Harris is excellent, I know him. So I would be happy to sit down with any of them, and of course with citizens as well. But if it's a matter of providing legal advice, the law requires that the request come from a legislator or a state agency. That could be the auditor. Uh, but uh, I would recommend moving in that direction. So I, I have specific questions that I'm being asked to address, uh, and it, including questions about agencies, their authority, whether they're inside their, within their authority or not when they take certain actions. Very good. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, are <laughs> that you are in the position that you are and that you, we thank you for coming down and here and visiting our area and getting tuned into our, what is a, a very important issue for our area. And uh, I appreciate the, your willingness to help us on that. And hopefully we can move things forward. And I, I hope that you can make some substantial changes Thanks. should you become our next okay. governor Thank you. so that you can pull in the right direction. You can really help to change some of these uh, administration kind of problems that put us in the pickle where we're at now where you can push for accountability. You can push for transparency. You, can, you have more uh, ability to pull for citizens rather than defend the state. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's a mix of both. Uh, you've got to be able to do both. But, mm -hmm. And it's, it's generally, it's, we can do that. Uh, so do, uh, do encourage uh, uh, the legislators to contact me and the state auditor. If you have any problems obtaining public records, okay. you can take advantage of our public records ombudsman. Right. So please feel free to reach out to my office. His name is Tim Ford. He's very good. Uh, and we'll be glad to serve. Very so good. Thanks again we, for the opportunity to be on the show with you. 
A pleasure. Hopefully we'll have you back. Thank you for coming down. Thank you for joining us. That wraps it for Clark County today. Thank you for joining us.